This is the I Make a Living podcast brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. I'm your host, Demona Hoffman, and I'm one of you, an entrepreneur who's obsessed with maximizing the time I spend on my business. I always tell my clients that time is one resource that is not renewable. So how you spend your time and who you spend it with really matters. But what if time could run faster for you? What if your brain ran at super speed and you could accomplish more in each day than the average person? That seems to be the case for the guest teacher for today's masterclass. Peter Shankman is a five-time best-selling author, entrepreneur, and keynote speaker with three startup launches and exits under his belt, including the popular PR platform Harrow. Peter is recognized worldwide for radically new ways of thinking about social media, PR, and the new neurodiverse economy. What does that mean? You'll find out soon as we get to know Peter and as he answers listener questions in this special Masterclass episode. Social media is not my cup of tea. I assume that my customers are going to be like me. How do I get outside of that Yeah, uh, people keep telling me I need a minimum viable product. How do I figure out what that should be for my business? My company is growing and I need to raise prices to sustain that growth. How do I raise my prices when I'm scared of losing customers? Let's begin at the beginning. Did you set out to be an entrepreneur? Not in the slightest. I uh, was supposed to be in uh, taking fashion and portrait photography. I was supposed to be... uh, on a beach taking pictures in California. Um, I, had, I had no idea how I wanted to doing anything. I was, I was an undergrad Boston University student, journalism degree. Um, so I moved back to New York um, and I was hanging out in uh, something called the Melrose Place TV Gossip Chat Room uh, on America Online back in the 90s oh, when, yeah. when AOL was the internet. And um, the, uh, someone in that chat room said, hey, my company's trying to build a newsroom. Why don't you submit your resume? I said, sure, I have no experience. This would be perfect. I have no idea what you're doing. I <laughs> found that sarcasm didn't translate well online. And, and two weeks later, I was one of three founding editors of the America Online Newsroom in Vienna, Virginia. Oh, my gosh. Um, Wait, that's so – that is such a crazy story, Peter, because, pe- I mean, people go through so much to break into rooms like that. What, what do you think it was, just being in the right place at the right time? Or was it something that you said that got them to notice you? I think looking back on it, it's definitely a part of my ADHD, which is that – um, leap first and find a landing place second. Uh, my entire life, it, it, it's no coincidence that I became a skydiver. My entire life is jumping off a cliff and hoping I can build a parachute before I hit the ground, um, a functioning parachute. And uh, I had no idea what I was doing at AOL. Uh, my, my, my father told me, oh, the internet thing, that's ridiculous. Get a, get a, you know, a newspaper job. So, you know, I got, I, I, of course, didn't do what he told me to do. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of everything I've done has been just sort of, I'll try it and see what happens. I, I, you know, <clears throat> I think the best ideas in the world, um, the, the the road, the highway of life is littered with ideas that never took off because someone didn't think they'd work, yeah. right? And and I've just never given a crap about whether they were, I'm going to try it. And if it works, awesome. If it doesn't work, I'll try something else. That's, you know, one of the best quotes I ever heard. It doesn't, if you don't like where you are, move. You're not a tree. Mm-hmm. And I, I also say, if you're not changing it, you're choosing it. So a lot exactly. of times you're when exactly. people that. feel that they, they're stuck, it's just the, the solution is on the other side of, of a pivot. Yeah. I'm curious about failures and what happens in those moments where you've jumped and the parachute didn't open up. Um, 
fortunately, in my skydiving career, that's never happened. Knock on wood. But um, <laughs> I'm I, in the figurative in sense. In figurative yes. sense, you know, failure is great. I love failure. I learn from failure. Some of the best lessons I've learned in my life have come from failure. And I, I, I won't hire anyone who hasn't failed. You want to fail. I love, you know, I, I love failure. Being able to learn. What did Einstein or someone said? I, I have, if I succeed, I win. If I lose, I learn. Right. And so the lessons I've got. I am a phenomenal hirer now because of the people I've hired in the past who didn't work. I learned from that, you know? Let's talk about hiring because a lot of the people who listen to the show are at that point where their business is growing. And I know I've been through the experience as an entrepreneur of hiring the wrong person and finding out too late. What are some of the things that you look for? Problem is, is that when you're looking to hire someone, um, you're so excited about what you're doing that you're wearing rose-colored glasses. And when you're wearing rose-colored glasses, every red flag just looks like a flag. (laughs) <laughs> right? And the same thing can be said for marriage. Um, so the, the thing you have to look for, you, your goal is to find people who are phenomenal at the things you suck at and who are willing to push back and tell you back off, I got this. The only hire, I mean, I've made several hires in my life and some of them were very good and you know, people lasted for a while. But hands down, the best hire I've made in my life is my assistant. She's been with me, God, since 2008, so 11 years now. And she has cursed me out. She's punched me in the face. She has done all these things. But at the end of the day, she's also taken away, you know, a month into my, two months into her tenure with me, she took away right access to my calendar, right? And I said, what the hell are you doing? You're taking, I can't, I can't say. She said, Peter, you scheduled two dinners on the same night. You're done. I'm going to do your calendar. You got one chance and, I'm and like, she I'm just like, cut you off. I'm like, that's not a big deal. Two dinners on the same night. She goes, Peter, you scheduled them on separate continents. You're done. Oh, and no. that was it. So I no longer have the ability to write in my calendar. If I want to put it in my calendar, I have to email it to her and she'll determine whether or not it can happen. And that's great because you know what that does? That gets me here on time, right? That gets me to anything I have to do. It gets me out of the airport, into the car that's waiting for me, into the, you know, I, bef- the reason I hired Megan was because I booked my first international keynote in Singapore. Uh, I was so excited, right? Three months in advance, they gave me, they sent me a wire transfer. It was going to cover my, I had to book my own flights. So I was like, book the flight. I show up at the airport. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm going to, you know, my first time going to Asia, or, you know, going to, being paid to go to Asia. And I get there, I'm like, this is awesome. And the woman, I go to check in. She's like, hi, you know, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to Singapore. And I hand her confirmation. She's like, oh, Singapore. She's like, you going to Singapore? I'm like, yeah. She's like, so you booked the ticket to Shanghai. Oh, oops. <laughs> I go, right, I'm going to Singapore. She's like, you booked a ticket to Shanghai. I'm like, are they close? Can I rent a car? So, sir, they're not close. They're about 3,000 miles away in completely different countries, and one of them is an island. So, no, you cannot rent a car. Would you like me to price you a new ticket? It, it was the entire uh, fee that they were paying me went to rebook my ticket. And you had uh, to do a it. Penny, and I had to do it. So I learned a lesson, right? You, you, you hire people who are what you're good at and, and who, who are great at what you suck at, and, and you just let them go to town. Trust them. Trust that they're going to do the job, right? If they don't do the job, get rid of them. But you can't find out if they're going to be great if you're not letting them do their job. Are there specific questions that you ask in the interview process to determine if someone is the right fit not for you? Not really. I mean, I don't hire that many people, but one of the things I will do is I'll always take them to lunch and I watch how they interact with the wait staff, right? So, um, you know, let's go on the subway. And I just watch their body language. I see how they move. I see how they talk to a waiter. I see how they... That will tell you more about... I And, you know... Everyone's like, oh, LinkedIn, screw LinkedIn. LinkedIn's, you know, where you go to be on your best behavior. I hate LinkedIn. I, I go and look at their Facebook profiles, right? I want to know what they're telling. If, if, I don't even care if they're being on their best behavior. Every single one of their friends, right, is an idiot or stoner or posting, you know, ridiculous conspiracy theories or whatever. And, that, you know, you are the product of the people you hang out with. 
Mm. right? Boats don't sink because of the water outside. Boats sink because of the water inside that gets in, right? So so if, if you are surrounded by people who are not of the same caliber, not of great caliber, you are going to sink. You know, you want people who lift you up and you mm. want to be surrounded by people who lift you up. And you want the people who work for you to be surrounded by people who lift them up so they can do better for you. Exactly. So let's say we're at the point now where we're scaling our business. It's It's more than a couple of employees. And you've taken something that maybe it was a hobby or a passion of yours or something that you were really good at. And now you have to, you have to scale it, scale it up, scale mm-hmm. it out. How do you, um, how do you switch into that mode from creator into manager? Well, you know, I hate being a manager. I'm terrible at being a manager. And the first person to admit I'm terrible at being a manager. The reason I sold Help a Reporter out was because uh, if I wanted to grow it past where it was, I would have had to hire 15 people and manage them. And who the hell, that's bullshit. I don't don't want to do that. I hate that stuff. So for me, it's a lot easier to make the decision, okay, I'm going to sell it. I'm going to take my money and run. And it was great. Um, (laughs) On the flip side, you know, one of the things you do, again, hire people who have your vision, but understand that no one's ever going to be as passionate about your thing as you, ever. Right. Right. And so, you know, you can't hire someone and expect that same level of passion so you can just go chill on a beach. That's not going to happen. Right. You still have to be there with that same level of passion until the day you sell it or it gets acquired or whatever. Um, you can take time off. You can do a little less of the day to day because you're hiring people to do that. But you have to have that same passion. You have to keep bringing it every single day. That'll never go away. To Peter, it's essential for entrepreneurs to learn how to juggle many things at the same time. It's just part of the job, part of the lifestyle of owning a business. This comes from the real-time experience of creating and managing a number of projects simultaneously, and also from the guest on his podcast, Faster Than Normal, about how successful people with ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, manage their busy day-to-day lives. That's what we mean by embracing neurodiversity and the different ways we all think. Do you, do you see your ADHD as an asset? Oh, God, yes. It is, it is, it is the cornerstone of everything I've done successfully. Um, Back when I was growing up, it didn't exist. Back when I was growing up in the New York City public schools, ADHD was sit down, you're disrupting the class disease. It wasn't a real thing. And, um, you know, I never could understand why I was always different. Why I was always speaking out in class. Why I was always couldn't pay attention. But, except for the things I love. I had to learn a different way of learning. Problem is, in the 80s, New York City public schools, even today in public schools, a different way of learning isn't necessarily acceptable, right? You know, it... When you, if you're one teacher and you have 35 kids, I get it. It's difficult. You can't have five kids that are different, but we have to change that. And so my ADHD growing up, the stuff that got me in trouble, got me suspended, got me kicked out of school, got me through college by the skin of my teeth. That's the stuff now that is making me a fortune. Not a fortune, but you know that keeps me happy. And, and the premise is, is that I can um, use those talents and those things that got me called out and got me beaten up. Those are actually gifts. And one of the greatest things about ADHD is that your mind can go from point A to point B to point X in like three seconds, and you can come up with a story and connect it, and it works. Um, the greatest thing about ADHD is also that you have the ability to say, hey, this sounds like a great idea. Let's see what happens. Harrow was started. I came up with the idea on a flight. Um, as I was walking to the airport at LAX, when I was in the lounge, I called a, a guy I knew who built websites. It's 2007. And I said, or seven, yeah, early 2007. I'm like, hey, I want to do this thing. And he goes, yeah, I could put a framework together. Cool. I fly from LA to Houston. I connect in Houston. Connect in Houston. I go to the lounge. I have a, I have a soda. I call the guy. I'm like, he's, I'm like, how's it going? He's like, oh, yeah, it's done. Here, here, go to this website. I'm like, oh, that looks awesome. From the flight from Houston to New York, I sent an email to a bunch of friends. Hey, I've started this mailing list. If you want to get on it, I landed in New York. Harrow was built and running. Wow. And within a month, we had an advertiser. I mean, it was literally, that's how the brain works, right? And the downside of that is that, you know, 
kids are that quick, right? Just like I am. And that is not necessarily what a teacher wants all the time. And that gets you in trouble. You have to learn. If it's great to have a Ferrari, if you don't know how to drive it, you're going to crash into a tree. <laughs> you have to learn how to drive your brain. So you didn't get diagnosed with ADHD until you were an adult, until much later. I had a therapist who threw a book at me uh, called uh, Delivered from Distraction. Literally threw the book at me. Uh. And um, he uh, he said, here, read this. It'll help you with your ADHD. I'm like, what is ADHD? He's like, well, you obviously have ADHD. Weren't you diagnosed? I'm like, no. He's like, I've been with you for eight years. How the hell have you never been diagnosed with ADHD? You obviously have your poster child. I'm like, well, thanks. You're a good therapist. Funny thing is he's still my therapist. Great guy. Um, but yeah, it was like, and it, but it, here's the thing. Diagnosis didn't change anything. It just put a name to all that I was already doing. Everything I already had, everything I knew I had, how my brain works, everything like that. I just had a name for it. I'm like, oh, cool. This makes sense. Other people have it. Yeah. I mean, I understood it, 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 it changed the way I think of chemistry, right? A lot of things made a lot of sense. Like, there's a reason I skydive. When I jump out of an airplane, my dopamine, serotonin, and adrenaline go to full mass, right? They're never at full mass because when you're ADHD, you have 25% less monoamine inhibitors that create dopamine, serotonin, and adrenaline. But when you're jumping into a plane, they give you 150% all the focus chemicals we could possibly make. So the nice thing about that is when you land two minutes later after the skydive, you're still quite alive. Right, you're still full of those chemicals. They haven't just disappeared. You have to dissipate them over several hours. So I'll bring my laptop to the drop zone. I will sit down after a jump, throw my gear in a corner, and write ten thousand words in thirty minutes. That is so important to know where you are most effective, like how to set up the uh, working environment so that you are doing your best. Like I know I am not a night owl. No, me I'm a, I'm a morning person. I'm a morning person. You get up I'm really up at early. I'm in the morning. Yeah. And I'm so excited for this plane. I'm, I'm flying to Abu Dhabi tonight, and I'm so excited for that because I have probably about 100 or so pages that I want to write. I'm working on my sixth book, and I have over the next two weeks, I'm in Abu Dhabi. I'm in uh, Zurich, Abu Dhabi, Tokyo, and Bangkok over the next two weeks. And I come home in between to see my daughter. 12 hours in flight, eight hours in flight, 14 hours in flight to do nothing but write. No distractions, just write. How do you stay focused in in situations like that, especially having ADHD? Well, that's the whole point. I'm on a plane. Where the hell am I going to go? Right? I can't leave. <laughs> right? I'm, I can't, you know, you, you, you sit down. They give you the food. I don't eat on the plane because, it's, it's you know, the food is designed to put you to sleep. So I'll bring, like, some beef jerky or bring whatever, and I'll, I'll have some water. I'll have a, maybe a Diet Coke every hour. I'll, I'll jump up every hour, do squats in the galley. You bring M&Ms to the flight attendants before the flight starts, and they'll let you do whatever you want. So you do, flights, do squats in the galley to keep your blood flowing. And I will write. I mean, I wrote Zombie um, Faster Than Normal. No, Zombie Loyalist, my, my, my book on customer service. That was written entire. I had a year to do it. I did all the research the first month and then forgot about it for 11 months. And my my uh, editor at the time, uh, my publisher, called me. She's like, hey, book's due in two weeks. I'm like, no problem. I hung up the phone. I booked a flight from New York to Tokyo. Uh, New York, Tokyo, leaving the next morning. I took my laptop, a power cord, and a sweatshirt. I got on the plane, headphones. I got on the plane. I wrote chapters one through five on the flight to Tokyo, landed in Tokyo, went to the lounge, took a shower, had a cup of coffee, had another cup of coffee, got back on the same plane, same seat two hours later, flew back to New York, wrote chapter six through 10, landed at, back at New York 34 hours after I took off with a book, um, and then got detained by Homeland Security for five hours, and I never actually cleared immigration when I hit uh, Tokyo. But uh, long story oh, no. short, I wrote a book. <laughs> and um, yeah, you know, and that, and that works, because what else are you going to do? You're on a plane, you're sitting on your laptop, I use a wonderful uh, app on my Mac called Ohm Writer, O-M-M Writer, which shuts down all your notifications and locks the rest of your computer. All you can do is focus on the words. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you have to create that environment but that's for what, yourself. That's, that's where it is. It's on a plane. Yeah. I can't work. I can't do that in my office. I can mean, a little bit, but not, I'm not going to go into that zone of focus, I call it, and get my work done. You're, you're, you move very fast. You get a lot done. Huh. 
And I know a lot of entrepreneurs that when they're starting out, they're thinking they have to do everything. They have to do everything nope. at once. They're working like, you know, 18 hour days. That's the I, Gary Vaynerchuk theory. And it's, <laughs> it's a blatant mistake. It Tell is, me about it, that. Is, it is the Gary Vaynerchuk theory is, you know, hustle, hustle, hustle till you die. Right. And, and you know, if you have 21 hours to live or 21 hours a day uh, and you have a kid and you only have three hours to sleep every night, well, sleep one hour and work two more, you know, and that's a prescription to kill yourself. And it's a mistake. Um, I, I respect Gary. He's done very well. But, you know, I get eight hours of sleep a night and I am very successful. And most people I meet who are very successful get, get eight hours of sleep a night. Um, sleep is the most important thing you can do to reset your brain, to give you uh, time to build and get stronger. And the people who aren't doing it, you can tell um, who they are and how they look. And, and they are not um, as successful. Um, I used to be like that. I used to survive on Diet Pepsi and caffeine, and I I dip tea bags in Diet Pepsi, leave them overnight, and then drink them, and and oh my. it was horrible. <laughs> and and I thought I was I thought I was the smartest person in the world, and I wasn't, and I was I was destroying myself. And um, I my daughter, I'm a single dad, and my daughter goes down around seven. Well, her bedtime's eight o'clock, but until she learns how to tell time, eight o'clock is whatever the hell I say eight o'clock is. But um, <laughs> she, I love daylight savings for that right? reason. Like, look, it's dark. Oh, it's dark. dark. Someone's Five out there, right? Time to go to so bed. She goes to sleep at like you know seven thirty or whatever. Uh, on the nights I have her, which is about, you know, half a week, a little more than half a week. And um, I'm usually up by 8 o'clock. And, but the difference is I'm up at 3.45. I have automatic, my, my curtain, my shades, my blackout shades are automatic. They start coming up around 3.45. My lights come on around 3.50. I'm awake. And I sleep in my, in my bike shorts um, and a pair of socks. And I wake up. The lights are on. They come up like sunlight. The shades are open. It's 3.45 in the morning. It's pretty hard to go back to sleep at that moment. So I take two inches to my left, I get on my Peloton bike and I start riding. Um, sometimes I do 45 minutes, sometimes I do 10 minutes, sometimes I do two hours. Um, but I do the workout because I need that workout to get that dopamine to, to make my day happen. And I can't do that if I'm not getting a decent night's sleep. It but, sounds like there's a big theme in your life of understanding who you are, understanding your body, understanding what you need. You have to know everything about yourself, right? Because if you don't, how can you be at your best? Right, and that involves exercise, eating healthy, and look, I'm not perfect. I mean, my God, I live in Manhattan. If you don't eat pizza on a regular basis, you get deported. But you have to take care of yourself, right? And 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 you have to know yourself, know what you're good at, know your strengths and weaknesses, and you can improve, right? Constantly focus on improving. I mean, that's why I love the Peloton bike so much. Every day is a chance to do better than I did yesterday. But you know, and I, but I need to make it clear that I'm also not, I'm not on this pedestal. I mean, I also have days where I will just go eat a pizza. Not a slice of pizza, but a pizza. Because I don't moderate. I, I don't have, when you're ADHD, and mostly entrepreneurs are like this, you don't have the ability to moderate. I have two speeds. I only have two speeds in my life, and that's it. And they are namaste, and I'll cut a bitch. And there is no, there's no middle ground there. There's literally no middle ground. I don't know how to moderate. I don't, I quit drinking because I wouldn't have one drink. I wasn't going out and having 15 drinks. I wasn't going and pillaging villages or anything like that, but I'd have six drinks. I'd go home. I'd go to sleep. I wouldn't wake up super early the next day. I wouldn't work out because I'd be a little tired. Well, well, I haven't had, screw it. I haven't had, you know, I didn't go work out. I might as well order two bacon, egg, and cheese and get the you know, alcohol out of my system. Well, if I did that, screw it. Let's have pizza for dinner. You know, nine months later, and I tried about a, about a year and a half. I'd been, I'd been dry for like three years. About a year and a half ago, I'm like, eh, you know what? Maybe I could, let's see if I learned. Had a drink, had a couple of drinks. You know, nine months later and 40 pounds gained. Um, uh, Morgan Freeman uh, started narrating my life. In fact, Peter couldn't moderate, right? And it was just like, <laughs> I learned this lesson. And so, so you have to understand yourself, right? And it's like, it's like the line from War Games, the only winning move for me is not to play. So don't play. 
Speaking of winning moves, in my business, press drives a lot of my customers to me. So being in the studio with the creator of Harrow, a platform that is instrumental in connecting journalists to entrepreneurs, I had to take the opportunity to ask how our listeners can be more successful with their media pitches. People are always asking me, what's the secret? And even with with help of a reporter out, there's so many different uh queries and and I know as somebody that also gets queries you get sometimes hundreds of responses um do you have any insights either from your work at AOL or your work at help a reporter out for entrepreneurs that are trying to get press for their business don't focus on yourself focus on something you see in the industry as a trend right so what is your business doing and how is that affecting the mass populace so not oh i have this business we make widgets but rather I have this business and there are four other companies that also have these businesses and it is projected that between the five com- five of our companies we are going to you know totally disrupt a 14 billion dollar industry and affect one of every three people in the- you know don't worry about giving your your other uh, your competitors press. If you're the one bringing the story to the reporter and it's big, they will feature you the most, right? But give them a trend story and you're five times, 5,000 times more likely to get pickup than you are if you just try to pitch yourself. No one cares what you're doing. They care what's going on in the world. We have a segment called Tips or Tools. Okay. And if you could share one tip or one tool with our audience that makes you able to live the life you lead and the business that you have, that would be helpful. I'll give you two. So followupthen.com is hands down the best tool utility in the world. It is free. You send an email to any time. So I could send an email to 6 a.m. at followupthen.com. 4 p.m. at followupthen.com, December 21st at followupthen.com, 18 days from now at followupthen.com. And in, in, in whatever amount of time that was, it'll simply send that email back to me. So I can blind copy three days at followupthen.com when I'm sending an email to a client and waiting on a, a contract. If I don't get it, if I don't hear from them in three days, the blind copy comes back to me. I said, oh, yeah, where the hell are they? And I can remind them. It is literally like it is a calendar tickler service rolled into one. Um, when my ex calls me and says, make sure that that your, our daughter has um, her black shoes in her book bag because I want them for Thanksgiving tomorrow. I know that we are leaving the house at 745 to get her. To, I'm leaving the house at 745 to get to school. At 730, an email arrives, put the black shoes in her book bag, right? It is hands down the greatest thing in the world. You parked in zone four. Right, send it for three days from now when my flight lands. Whatever it is, it, it's the greatest tool in the world. I have never heard of it. So Follow thank up then. You. Follow up then. We'll put it in the show notes. This is just the beginning of Peter's valuable feedback because we have been collecting questions from our listeners for this special masterclass episode. This one actually came up a few times in a few different ways at our last "I Make a Living" live event. Social media is not my cup of tea. I assume that my customers are going to be like me. How do I get outside of that? I think my customers are going to be people like me who probably don't use social media. What I recommend you do is you don't worry so much about social. Uh, You can hire people who are good at it. The key to great social media is great content. And the key to great content is respecting your audience, right? Figure out what your audience wants to hear, right? And do that by asking them. Reach out to your audience, ask them what they want. You know, what excites you guys? What do you love about what I'm doing? What do you like? And, and listen to them. And from that, research what kind of stuff is fascinating to post. You know, the stuff I post on, on for Faster Than Normal, 
you know, it's conversations that I've had with people with ADHD. It's it's funny memes. It's whatever. But it's it's things I know people will relate to because having an audience is mandatory for your business. So you don't have the right to an audience. You can earn the privilege of having an audience by delivering great content, right? And coming up with new things that your audience is going to appreciate and enjoy and want to share, right? That's a privilege. You don't have the right to an audience. They can go away. You start putting up crap, they're going to go away. Make sure you focus on the audience. The stuff you're putting up on social needs to be for the audience. And you'll find also that if you start doing it like that, it's a lot easier to do. Mm -hmm. I, I find that a lot of people worry about whether they need to they need to buy. Uh, no, don't worry about followers. Don't worry about like fans. Don't followers. worry about any of that crap. Um, Instagram just hit uh, hit likes, which is awesome. Yeah. Now, yeah, now basically it just shows up liked by Emily P and others. It doesn't. Sh the only person that can see the number of people like your stuff is you. Oh my god, it's like the greatest weight off everyone's shoulders in the world. They should have done it years ago. Mm. You don't have to worry about it now, right? Mm. Who cares? What matters is the interaction. You want people who are looking at your stuff and commenting on it and like you know the likes don't matter it's like hey start a conversation with these people respond to them be real okay this one um this person actually has followed a similar path to you she says i had a newsletter that became so popular we turned it into a business but ultimately my business partner and i wanted to go in different directions mm. how do you choose the right investors or business partners to work with it's a tough one. You know, I, I didn't, I never took any money for Harrow. I never took any investment. I did it all on my own. I bootstrapped it. And that was great because when I sold it, they gave me a check, right? Or a wire transfer. Um, the key is, again, you find people who are great at the stuff you're not, but have a, or have a similarly, a similarly aligned vision. And I cannot stress enough, everything you do in terms of when you start with your business partner needs to go through a lawyer. Right. And I'd say the same thing for marriage. Everything you do needs to go through a lawyer. It's great that you love each other. It's great that you're happy. It's great that you're going to be together forever. It's great that you're going to do this business. That stuff will not last. You will argue about something, and that's when you want to have it in writing. Yeah. And people think, even if it's like oh, a small that business, won't like it's just a no, it's still going to happen to you. Let me tell you. <laughs> you. Well, yeah, you have to deal with the problems before they're, before they're issues. Exactly. What about when you sell? We had a panelist on one of our recent I Make a Living live events who had an offer to buy his company and he ended up turning it down and felt like it was not a match for good, uh, for, good except for they ended up going public and what he he uh, calculated what he would have gotten oh, was yeah. about 24 that million hurts. that hurts yeah 24 but million dollars i lost. will say this <laughs> at the end of the day you have to be happy with you right and look 24 million dollars certainly helps but you know how miserable are you gonna be when i sold harrow um i was able to walk away with cash and not have to be a manager I would, I could have kept it for ten years and made ten times more. I would have been, it would literally would have been now, and I'd still be miserable, right? Instead, I was able to sell it. I was able to do a lot of stuff, have fun, and move on from there. It has to come down to how you feel. If it, listen to your gut, we have guts for a reason. Guts kept us from being eaten by saber-toothed tigers millions of years ago. Just listen to your gut. They're really, they're there for a reason. Yeah, uh, people keep telling me I need a minimum viable product. How do I figure out what that should be for my business? Number one, stop listening to people. People suck. Um, <laughs> you need to be able to prove that your thing works, right? Great. Just let's, let's just stop using terms like minimum viable product. You, you, your stuff needs to work. If your stuff works, great. Keep making it better, right? As long as you you know, make something that works, show it to people, and then improve on it. That's it. That, that, it that's it. <laughs> it's literally, you know, you, you don't need to sit there and go, oh, well, it has to be this. Get something out the door. 
get something out the door, get a core group of people who like it and want to use it. They will help you. They will tell you what they want to see, right? The, you know how every time Apple releases a new operating system, there's 50 million bugs. I was like, why didn't they squash them beforehand? Because they only have X number of people working on it. You put it out in the public, those people are going to find it. Oh, and they will tell you. For let sure. them tell you. That's what their job is. They want to help you. Let them do it. Get something out the door. Let people see it. Do you believe in surveying your audience? Oh, God, yeah. I talk to them all the time. You have mm-hmm. to. Again, ask them what they want. They will tell you. Before Find out how they like to get their information. Right? You know, f- don't just assume they want text. The majority of people do, but there are people who still want email. Email is still very important. Make sure you know how they like to get their information. What about selling the product before you have it? I've also heard that as a successful strategy to see if there's really interest for it. I did that on a course that I sold. Um, and I sold about 50 grand worth of the course before it launched. And that was great. Um, if you have an audience for it, great. Do that. But again, that comes down to then you're spending a lot more time cultivating your audience before you have the product, right? So you have to question where your time is. What's more important with your time? Okay. Similarly, this question um, comes to us from a woman who says, I started a conference using a Kickstarter and it was a success. Over 400 women attended. We have a Facebook audience of over 14,000 people. Any tips on how to grow our audience next year or convince more of our followers to attend? Yeah. Talk to the followers you have. You get the customers you want by being awesome to the customers you have. Reach out to the people you have and tell them, hey, you attended last year. I want to give you first dibs to get tickets this year because we're going to sell out. And more importantly, if you bring a friend, you get 50% off your your whatever, right? Don't start looking for new customers. That's like better dealing the girl you bring to the prom, right? You don't want to bring a girl to the prom and say, well, that was fun. I'm going to go off with her. You know, focus on the customers you have. They will give you the customers you want. The greatest example ever is I meet you at a bar. So, you know, you look amazing. I, you, but here's the thing. I'm awesome, right? You should finish your drink and come home with me. I'm that good. You know what's going to happen? You're going to throw your drink in my face, go back talking to your best friend. Mm-hmm. How do I know this? I've done a lot of research. That's exactly <laughs> what's going to happen. But if your best friend's sitting there, and holy crap, that's Peter Shankman. I've heard him speak. He's amazing. He's a single dad. You're a single mom. You both have cats. Oh my God, I'm going to introduce you. At the very least, I'm getting your number. That comes from a solid recommended source, right? Reach out to the people that you care, that you've worked with before. Show them how much they matter, right? They will bring you the customers you want. Every that's time. really key. That's really key. Showing them that. They matter because I think a lot of people market from the point of view of new customers. Mo- focus well, on the and customers they're thinking like, this is me. This is what I do as opposed to this is what I it's do like the, you. It's like the, you always see this on like Facebook. Our 10,000 sign up is coming soon. Our 10,000 sign up gets a whatever. Well, that's a giant screw you to the 9,999 people who just signed up previously. How do you know when to add staff? How do you make sure the level of service is up to your standards? How do you do this without making more work for yourself? So the customer experience is so bad. In, in our world that I don't need you to be awesome. I need you to be 1% better than what sucks. And most things suck, right? <laughs> so I don't need you to be great. Think about your last fight, right? I don't need you to be awesome. What I need you to be is slightly better than everyone else. If you can handle it on your own, great. If you're at the point where you can't, bring someone on. But hire for empathy. Hire people who care about people. If you hire about, if you, if you have a forward-facing position like customer service and whoever, someone's dealing with the customers. Now, I'm not talking about a tech guy. You want to put a back-end tech geek? Great. He doesn't have to talk to anyone. If you're, t- if you're dealing with someone who is forward-facing, hire for empathy because they will under- every customer that comes to you has a problem. If they can understand what the problem is and fix it, you have a great employee. I think a lot of, uh, a lot of our entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast, they're in service-based businesses where they're like a graphic designer yep. or um, a, a coach. And so they need – they only – have so much time in the day yeah. to actually deliver that service. So they're looking for someone that also can do the same job as them at the same I'm not level. a huge fan of, of businesses where you have to trade your time for money, but I understand what people are doing. And so the question becomes, 
where can you throw in another half hour where you reach out and just say hi to customers when you're not trying to sell them anything, right? If you can do half an hour of that a day, you're fine. Mm. And if you can't, well, maybe it is time to bring someone on. But again, make sure they're good at what you're not and make sure they have that same level of belief in the customer as you do. My company is growing and I need to raise prices to sustain that growth. How do I raise my prices when I'm scared of losing customers? You go to your website, you put in the new price and you click save. I can tell you right now that 99% of your listeners without, and this is like fact, 99% of your listeners are not charging enough, right? They're charging too little, they are offering too many products and they are losing customers because of that. When I buy something, I buy it for value. And if that, for the value of the product, not the value of the price, which means that if I want to see it cost more and I know it costs more, chances are it's better, right? You are not, listen to me, people listening to this podcast, you are not charging enough. Raise your prices in 2020. Wow, that's scary though. That's scary. No, it's not because there are people out there who will buy them. You have, people will pay those prices. The largest keynote I ever got when I was first starting out, right? I typed the wrong number. And didn't notice it. And they paid it. And it was like by a factor of four. And they paid it without, with like 30 seconds. I'm like, well, how much money have I been leaving on the table, right? Understand that your audience, if they perceive there's value, will pay. You are not charging enough. And here's the other thing. If you're not, if you, if you lose two clients because you over, because they don't want to pay that, chances are it was good to lose them. When people, I, I run this mastermind mostly to help people. I, I don't make a lot of money from it. I don't want to. I, it's, it's, you know, it's a, when I was trying to build, when I was trying to build Harrow, mastermind was like, oh, for $100,000, you can join. I'm like, well, bitch, if I had $100,000, I wouldn't need to join your thing. So I charge like 89 bucks a month, right? Or like 99 a year. And if it, people who tend to leave the mastermind, oh, I could, just couldn't afford it. It's too much money. I want to put money out. I look at their, what they did in it. Chances are they did virtually nothing in the mastermind. Right, the people who are willing to pay and pay up front and have a credit card on file, they are the most one. They're the ones who contribute the most. Make sure that you are charging what you are worth. If you are an entrepreneur. Your job is to generate revenue, right? Do that. Charge more. Don't forget to implement Peter's great takeaways from today's episode. Know when to ask for help. Understand who you are and take care of yourself. Find creative solutions unique to your own productivity needs. These last three episodes have been all about getting on track for this new year. Brand Pinvidic taught us that having clarity in your business concept is vital to success. Tina Smaker guided us through big life transitions and taught us to approach each challenge with creativity. To close out this month, Peter Shankman gave us actionable tips and creative solutions to managing your time. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 2020 strong. Are you ready to tackle your goals for the new year? Check out Peter's podcast, Faster Than Normal, and you can find out what else Peter is up to on his website, shankman.com. We'll put the links in the show notes. This podcast was brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. Want to know more about how you can save hours on accounting paperwork and focus more on your business? Head over to freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L to receive an exclusive offer. That's freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L, short for I Make a Living. Our audio engineer and composer is James Morris. Producing and direction comes from Paco Arismendi. And I'm your host and producer, Demona Hoffman. Let's connect. I'm on all of the socials at Demona Hoffman or at DemonaHoffman.com. 
Hey, and if you haven't been to one of our I Make a Living live events yet, we are traveling North America and the UK. You can find out when we'll be in your neck of the woods at imakealiving.com. And don't forget to celebrate what makes you unique because it's your business. See you next week.